It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Scano Sego, Ani, Bojo, Kwekwe, Tansi, and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Welcome to our listeners in Toronto and Ottawa. And you are listening at 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. You can also be listening anywhere across Canada if you've downloaded the Radio Player Canada app and type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM. I also want to mention that if uh, for any reason you have missed a show, you can always go to our website because those shows are put online and you can go back and hear them at any time you like. Just uh, go to elementfm.ca and uh, look that up on either station. You can connect, just scroll down and uh, see what's happening, and you can listen to the Element FM interviews on that site. I'd like to welcome to the show this morning, and I would also like to say before we uh, introduce uh, her that I appreciate her coming online at very short notice, Patty Pettigrew. She is the, uh, the president uh, of the uh, Thunder Women's Healing Lodge, and uh, I know she's had a very busy morning. Good morning, Patty. Welcome to Moment of Truth. Hello? Patty, are you there? Hello? I'm just trying to connect with Patty. I know she was on the line. Good morning, Patty. Are you there? Yeah. Uh, we may have lost that call. We'll come back to her. Hopefully she will call back in in a moment. But just to give you a little bit of, uh, of information about the Thunder Women Healing Lodge, it's just a story that's been in the news of late, uh, something that's going to be opening up in the Scarborough area near Toronto. And uh, it's, it's a, a healing lodge for women. And it's a community-driven project raised out of concern and recognition of the needs to break the cycle and support the healing, rehabilitation, and meaningful reintegration of Aboriginal women offenders. Now... Their mission and their vision uh, for the Thunder Women Healing Lodge is their vision is Thunder Women Healing Lodge Society will promote and provide services for First Nation, Inuit and Métis women to focus on their journey to wholeness and balance. Their mission to provide First Nation, Inuit and Métis women a place in the greater Toronto area to heal and reclaim positive cultural identity, rehabilitation and wellness. Their mandate is to establish this healing lodge for First Nations, Inuit and Métis women who are in conflict with the law, and for those who have survived intergenerational trauma to provide cultural support, traditional knowledge and resources to the advancement of wholeness and balance to empower First Nations, Um, Inuit, and Métis women. And I think I hear Patty on the line. Patty, are you there? Hi there. I'm sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Technology. (laughs) That's right. Uh, No worries. I appreciate it. I'm just finishing up the last line of the mandate for the uh, Thunder Woman Healing Lodge to empower First Nations, Inuit, Métis women to take their honored place in their community and culture. So, uh, Patty, I appreciate you joining us on the show today. And, um, you know... um, as I was just saying, it's a story that's been in the news because there's been a, bit, a little bit of pushback from the Scarborough community where it's going into. Uh, there's some concern about about um, the the people or the women that will be, uh, I guess, going through the center or entering the center. And um, right. and what do you say to that right off the top? What what's your what would you say to these people that have this concern? Well, I would say to them, and I have been saying to them that. Uh, the truth of the matter is that people are already in their community. They've already been released to the community, um, but they're released without supports. Mm. 
Mm. And to have, to have, you know, a place like Thunder Woman Healing Lodge um, actually uh, promotes more safety for the community. Right. How do you mean that? Well, because, first of all, these are, the women that are going to be entering into the lodge are women who are coming out of correctional institutions, um, who are, you know, uh, before the courts on bail, but they're also Indigenous women who are motivated to look at the issues that brought them before the courts and to try and change some of the behaviors and to understand themselves at a deeper level. Mm. So we can't go wrong with that because that's all part of healing. Yeah, and and it turns them into better citizens. Yeah, and... Uh, it uh, helps, you know, the restoration of identity for Indigenous, Métis, and Inuit women who have been separated from their culture is one of the most powerful things that we can facilitate. Yeah, I, I believe that's true. And and you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, it's also the, the, the trauma, the ongoing intergenerational trauma that, that we all know about, uh, that we've heard so much about. Uh, in terms Absolutely. of residential schools, et cetera, you know, the 60 scoop, all of those things. Right. And I, I think the larger non-Indigenous community does not, doesn't really understand that. Um, and even if they do, they don't, they have a hard time um, being accountable. Mm. So, you know, when, when a project like this comes up in a neighborhood, it, it it does demand uh, some accountability on the part of the broader community. So with that, with having said that, what do you think can be done or should be done then as this rolls out and the, and the Healing Lodge is brought into the community and the area? What do you think would help um, soften that or, or make it more of a, of a, of a, a, a positive thing in the community? What, what do you think would help? Well, I know that one of the, the things that we want to do is we want to engage the community. Um, you know, we, once we get established in that, we, we want to engage the community um, with, you know, cultural feasts and, and, mm. and ceremonies and um, help them to understand who we are as Indigenous people. Mm. Yeah, and now when you say uh, help them understand, that means I'm I'm guessing uh, maybe taking them on a little bit of a journey into into some of the understandings of even what drumming is all about and and some of the basics. That's right. Yeah, we'll be doing you know we'll be doing all sorts of um, activities, and you know it, the community won't always be invited into them, but. We want to engage the community at certain times of the year when we do our celebrations. Mm. How long is this? Has this been in the in the works? Like, how long has has the idea of of getting this off the ground been? been... Well, you know, it started eight years ago, mm. and it has. So the vision came about eight years ago, and it has expanded to uh, where we formed Thunder Woman Healing Lodge Society, and our eventual. Uh, goal in our vision is to establish four lodges. This is our first, and it's the only uh, lodge for Indigenous, Indigenous, it's the only Indigenous-specific lodge for women 
uh, involved in the Canadian justice system in Ontario. There's nothing. There's nothing specific for Indigenous women here. Oh, and and the problem the problem has been is that the existing um, uh, programs, like say Elizabeth Fry Society, although they've tried to be um, uh, sensitive to the needs of Indigenous women, they're not cutting it. It's not working. Mm. And how many people at a time would the lodge be able to accommodate and, and help? So this is a really unique program because there are 12 women who can enter the lodge, the healing component of the lodge, and then we're going to have 12 transitional apartments so that women, once they finish the program, can transition into the apartment. Mm. Because... For one thing, housing is next to impossible in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, it will provide that extra support uh, for women who, you know, who are who are transitioning out of the lodge, and eventually those women who are in the apartments will transition out of the apartment mm. to a, an independent lifestyle. Mm. Now, has there, you said there, this is the first of its kind in Ontario. Where else are there this kind of thing in, in other provinces? Um, there's there's two other lodges like this, and one is Buffalo Sage Wellness House, and there's a new one that has just opened up, and please forgive me, I don't know the name of it, but I, I believe it's um, Anderson House out in Vancouver. Mm. But you can correct me if I'm wrong. But. Okay. Now, you said this is eight years in the works, and so yep. a, a lot of time and thought has gone into it. And if I, when I look at your website, you've got a lot of information there that people can certainly look to and find out about and read about, uh, for, about the lodge, but also about the people behind the lodge, the people that are associated and involved with it. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, there's so, you know, there's so many people. I mean, the people on our board, I mean, we have uh, Pamela Hart, who is literally, is one of the founders. She's been with me since the beginning. And she's the executive director of uh, um, the Native Women's Resource Centre here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And then we have Kelly Potvin, who is a relatively new board member, but she's the executive director. Uh, director of E. Fry Toronto, Elizabeth Fry Society mm, okay. Toronto. And we have support from, you know, Andrea Christian, who has just been with us from uh, day one, who's with Toronto Native Council Fire. And we also were invited to sit on the board of TASC, which is uh, Toronto Aboriginal Support Services Council. And so we're one of the member agencies of 17. And also the Indigenous Métis and Inuit community in Toronto has been behind us since the beginning. Now, you you mentioned uh, Carolyn Bennett. Is she part of the board? Who? Carolyn Bennett? No, no. Okay. Um, we went to visit Carolyn Bennett in the early days. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, so we took a picture with her. We told her what we were doing. Mm. And then about, oh gosh, about three weeks ago, we had a meeting with all the um, 
MPs or MPPs in the 411 area, mm-hmm. and Carolyn Bennett was there. I see. And she, she said, you know, she did say that she was definitely going to look into um, seeing how she could, you know, possibly get some supports for us um, with the higher-ups, but mm. I haven't heard from her. Okay. I haven't heard a word from her. So, we, you know, I, I want to say this. You know, we've had so many studies done. Mm. And so, you know, truth and reconciliation and this latest, all the hard work that went into the missing and murdered Indigenous women and all these recommendations that come out of these reports and studies. But I'm about to turn 70 on Sunday, and I can tell you that I'm tired of waiting for them to implement these recommendations. And I think that as Indigenous people, we need to really realize that we're the ones, we have to get our boots on the ground and just do it ourselves because it's not going to happen. And that's a sad comment. Maybe, you know, I'm getting old and crusty, I don't know, but that's, that's, the, that's the reality that I've seen. You know, um, I don't know that the will is really there on the part of the Canadian government, but that's my personal opinion. Well, it's one that is shared by many people, Patty. I know that uh, what you say about that political will, uh, we've heard a great deal about on this program. And uh, certainly uh, many people have voiced that same thing. So, uh, you know, uh, I think you're quite right to to point that out and to say that, especially, uh, uh, and congratulations on your 70th birthday coming up, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to also add that, you know, um, for Indigenous women who are incarcerated, I mean, they're really, they really fall through the cracks. And, you know, they're perceived as criminals and perpetrators. But I, I write Gladue reports, and I can tell you that I have not come across one Indigenous woman who hasn't been a victim of the genocidal policies that accompany colonialism. I just, you know, they, they, the fallout from the residential schools, the foster care system, you know, these are our next murdered and missing women because they are vulnerable, you know, and so many of them are vulnerable to being trafficked. And then, you know, then people don't see this. They don't understand that, you know, these women have been victims themselves. Mm. And so, you know, we need to, we really need to work with our women just to, to bring them bring them back because they're the backbone of our of our nation. Mm-hmm. And all women, all women, whether they're, you know, highly educated, non educated, whatever, we're all part of this system and we're all connected. And so the pain of one is the pain of all. Mm-hmm. And the joy of one is the joy of all. And as long as one indigenous woman is suffering. We will all suffer. So that's the premise that I come to this on. Nicely said, nicely said. And what you were just referring to in terms of 
what you've you've seen uh, over your time and 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 about women. There's a an, a quote on your on your web page uh, that site that says. Um, you know, women are going to jail in Canada, especially Indigenous women, because they are unable to pay fines for small infractions. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, did you just, um, forgive me that I don't, I, I saw the story and I posted it on our webpage, but the young woman who was beaten and raped and then was herself placed in jail because the judge wanted to make sure she showed up to testify. And she came into jail in shackles. Like, but what's going on here? You know, this is that that's unthinkable. Yeah, that that is inhumane. Yeah, and we have to start to get really. We have to start to get angry about this. We cannot be complicit about it. We need to look at our our sisters who are incarcerated. And we need to work with them because, you know, I look at these women as kind of like wounded warriors. Yeah. You know, that's that's how I see it. And all I can say is I'm not going to give up. We're asking for a little, little, tiny lot to build on. And Canada is, you know, is founded on the kindness and compassion of Indigenous people. And right from the get-go, our women have suffered. Right from the get-go, when they first arrived here. So for us to be having to come up against a community that says, you know, not in my neighborhood, what would it have been like if we had said to their ancestors, not in our neighborhood, not on our land, jump in your boat and go back. Touche. Touche. Yeah. So, so this is, you know, this is a, a part of, this is what I'm seeing here. And you have to be really, um, what's the word, diplomatic on how you, you, you know, you speak and you handle um, situations like this. But the truth of the matter is, why are we begging for a little piece of land you know that there's something very wrong with this picture. Yeah. So, can you tell us? Um, you know, you haven't. Uh, I don't think uh, put shovel to the ground yet, have you? On this? No, not yet. When is um, that? I'm hoping. I'm hoping, and I may be, you know, jumping the gun a little bit, but I'm really hoping we can get the shovel in the ground in October. Hmm. And, and looking we at have a, a wonderful. Sorry, no. I just, we have a wonderful team of architects and uh, planners and, you know, and there are a lot of people who are not Indigenous who do support this project. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, of course, there are supporters. Absolutely, you're, you're correct yeah. in that. And uh, when would the completion of it be? Oh, gosh. You'd have to ask the architect that. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking 2020. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like 20. Sometime in late 2020, okay. 20, yeah. Great. I'll, you know, I'll probably have turned 71 by then. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately, it doesn't go backwards. So, yeah, you're probably no, right. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I just pray I am getting wiser as I age. 
Okay, Patty, uh, please stay on the line. We're going to have to take a short pause, but uh, we were going to come back and talk a little bit more, okay? So please stay on the line, and listeners, don't go away. We will be right back here on Moment of Truth and Element FM right after this. Welcome back to Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening in Toronto and Ottawa. Our guest this morning for the first part of the show is Patty Pettigrew. She's the president of the uh, the newly uh, uh, to be founded in, and, and brought to, to fruition the Thunder Women Healing Lodge. It's great that she's able to join us. And Patty had some very strong words uh, in the early part of this program, and rightfully so, I would say about uh, the how Indigenous women are falling through the cracks and how uh, things like this uh, healing lodge is not only necessary, but also a benefit to the, to the area that it's going into to help, uh, help with all the injustices that, uh, that, that Indigenous women have had to put uh, up with over uh, many, many generations. And can we talk a little bit about, because this is on your website as well, about the myths and facts around healing lodges. Right. So, um, you know, you, you've got some listed here. For instance, it says the, uh, the Thunder Women's Healing Lodge is a correctional institution, but that is not what it is. No, that's not what it is. These, uh, you know, these women have served their um, correctional institution time and have been either released on parole or they are on probation or, as I said, they're on bail they haven't even been convicted mm. of anything, right? So um, that's that's um, that's a misconception, right? And and no, and neither are the women there incarcerated. No, no, they're not incarcerated. Um, it says the the Thunder Woman Healing Lodge will bring criminals to the neighborhood. No, it's not going to bring criminals to the neighborhood. Um, they, I think that, uh, I think that was a comment that has been made. I mean, there are already people in the neighborhood who have committed crimes, mm. you know, they, what people don't realize is that, you know, maybe their neighbor is renting out a basement apartment and the person that's in the basement apartment has got released. Mm. You know, they don't know that. Right. Um, because people are being released every day. Right. To, um, the communities. Right. Yes. So another myth it's saying is the Healing Lodge is going to be like a place where Terry Lynn Ma- uh, Mac- McIntyre will... McClintock. Yes, McClintock, right. Yeah, absolutely not. And so I'm, I just want to make a comment about that if I can. Please. Uh, Terry McClintock was sent to a Healing Lodge, I believe it was in Saskatchewan, and it's a healing lodge that is operated by Correctional Services Canada. And so I believe that the powers that be who sent her there, and she's non-Indigenous, she's not Indigenous, knew the minute that they sent her there that there would be a big uproar about this. And so people would then start focusing their outrage and, and directing it towards healing lodges. Mm. But when you think about that, I know of a woman who is indigenous, who was incarcerated, who wanted to get into that lodge and was refused, yet they will take non-indigenous women and place them in that lodge. Mm. 
So, so that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, their correctional facilities that they call, and I'm saying they, that's Correctional Services um, Canada, um, are correctional institutions where they use Aboriginal values, traditions, and beliefs to design services and programs for offenders. So anybody can get in there. Right. So if you're working with Indigenous women who have encountered um, racism and, you know, all the other things that, that they've encountered within this, this other culture, they're not going to feel safe. They're mm. not going to feel safe to be able to speak how they feel, you yeah. know. So um, that's the difference. Our lodge will be for uh, Indigenous, Métis, and Inuit women. Right. And Wonderful. so that's what I have to say about that decision to send McClintock to that lodge. Right. And I do also want to say this, that the young child that uh, McClintock was um, convicted of murdering, Tori Stafford, my heart and the heart, I know this, of many Indigenous people goes out to her father. You know, to, to put McClintock in that lodge was cruel. Cruel to her family. Do, do, so am I making sense on this one? Absolutely. Absolutely, and your 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 heartfelt uh, uh, emotion is also very clear as well, Patty. We appreciate what you're saying here, and uh, I think you've made your your point very clear about what the these myths you've dispelled the myths that uh, that that uh, have been raised about some of the concerns around the uh, the Thunder Woman Healings Lodge uh, as, it, as it moves forward and and uh, becomes a reality in the community. Uh, the last thing it says as a myth is that the Healing Lodge will not be an active participant in the community, but I think you've already answered that one as well. Incorporated. You know, I'm getting letters, or pardon me, emails from community members who have various skills and gifts and are saying, you know, when you're up and running, I'd like to be able to contribute these. Right mm-hmm. down to things like um, social media sites, um, you know, various uh, people have various skills that they would like to contribute. Right. Um, so, listen, we're quickly approaching the end of our time, and I really want to say again, uh, uh, Chimi Gwech, for joining us on the program and, and bringing uh, and sharing the things that you have shared with us, and especially your passion that is still very, very evident that you have for this issue and for helping women uh, and uh, so I'm just wondering if, if there's anything we haven't touched on briefly that you want to just end with. I think after I'm finished uh, with this project, when it's completed, I might move on to forming our own Indigenous Values Party of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> That's something to, cons- we'll, Jody, something to consider. We'll Jody Wilson-Raybould lead it. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. Well, that's something for you to consider on Sunday when you're celebrating your 70th birthday. So uh, congratulations on on that, on your upcoming birthday. And and again, thank you so much for for taking time to join us on the show. I look forward to speaking with you again. Okay, midwitch. All righty. 
That was Patty Pedigree. She is the president of the Thunder Women's Healing Lodge that is uh, going to be uh, putting a shovel to ground maybe, I think she said, uh, later this year and uh, in completion for 2020. Uh, that's in the Scarborough area. Once again, thanks to Patty Pettigrew. Uh, we're going to take a short pause as we get our other two callers uh, from the West Coast, I understand, lined up and uh, talk more about women's issues and, uh, of, of course, uh, murder and missing Indigenous women and girls. Please stay tuned right here on Element FM. And welcome back to Element FM and Moment of Truth. You're listening in Toronto and Ottawa. And I know one person, for instance, is also listening in Vancouver. She's on the line right now. And we really appreciate her calling in. It is Tina House. She is a video uh, journalist with the Aboriginal People's Television Network. Tina, morning and welcome. And thanks for calling in today. Yes, good morning. Thanks for having me. So how's the weather on the West Coast? Oh, it's beautiful today. Yeah, it's going to be a hot one, so we're looking forward to it. All right. Well, you know, when I when I, in our email correspondence, when I said, our, well, you know, will you be in Vancouver kind of thing, and you go, oh, yeah, beautiful Vancouver. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we were talking about that a little bit earlier today uh, because uh, B.C., of course, uh, is a very beautiful place uh, when the sun's out, but, you know, it can also get kind of miserable when you, when you have rain for three weeks at a time or more. <laughs> it's certainly keeps us uh, lush and green throughout the year. So It, it, it sure does. You got that right. It sure does. Now, uh, Tina, you, you did this uh, interesting story uh, that, that ties in with the missing Indigenous uh, uh, in, in women and girls, and uh, not just the report, but also ties in with the United States, with the, their issue of missing Indigenous uh, women and girls as well. Yes, I did. Um, like, I, I've been covering this issue for close to 12 years now in my career with APTN. And, you know, I mean, we've always known that there's there's quite a few similarities between the U.S. and Canada when it comes to missing and murdered women and Indigenous girls. And, you know, certainly having a look at, um, you know, what's, what's currently taking place. I was lucky enough to attend a couple of events recently. One was um, the Feminist Deliver Conference, which was held here in Vancouver last week. That was uh, held concurrently with the Women Deliver Conference, which was the world's largest international women's conference. And at that Feminist Deliver, I met a couple of people that discussed, you know, the issues that are happening in the U.S. And one lady in particular just really struck me with her personal story, and that's Anita Lucchese. You'll hear her clip coming up uh, in the story once you once you run it. But, you know, it was just shocking to hear, you know, what she went through. And now, you know, she's turned her, her life around. She's now helping others and helping track statistics between the U.S. and Canada. So that was one part of the story that was very interesting. And then the other part was the University of British Columbia also put on a two-day symposium. It just actually wrapped up yesterday. And it was discussing, you know, the U.S. and Canada MMIWG uh, crisis. And the executive director there basically said it's an epidemic. Mm. Yeah, uh, um, it, it is interesting, uh, but it's also, uh, like you said, alarming, especially when you hear what happened to her and 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 how she describes what happened to her. So, in fact, why don't we why don't we run that story right now, if that's okay with you, and then we'll come back and Absolutely. talk about it. 
So this is sure. the story that uh, that is on APTN's site that uh, that Tina did, and it has to do with the conference and her her interview of the people that had were at the conference and the people that she met there. Let's give it a listen. The issue of murder to missing women and girls is a crisis in the United States as well as Canada. Anita Lucchese is American. She was recently in Vancouver speaking at Feminist Deliver. At that event, she shared a personal story. I was sold into trafficking by my abuser. Um, and my first experience with that was uh, I was home alone and a man came to the house with a chainsaw and said he had bought me. Um, and that if I didn't go with him, he was going to cut me into pieces. Uh, I don't think you can imagine what that scenario feels like or looks like if you haven't been through it. Um, but when I say that I was almost one of the women murdered, that's what I mean. I mean there was a man with a chainsaw at my front door dedicated to killing me if I didn't sleep with him um, and allow him to uh, sell me. Lachese now works with the Sovereign Bodies Institute in the U.S. They are tracking the statistics of MMIWG cases across North America. Another event organized by the University of British Columbia also discussed the similarities across both sides of the border. Margaret Moss is the director of the First Nations House of Learning. She's from North Dakota and says that this event was important for the university to host. Here there was the national inquiry as put out by the, the government here, national, uh, versus in the U.S. there's no national response yet. It's state by state. The hope for these two events is to showcase that the crisis of murder to missing women is not just a Canadian one and that women across the world can unite to take a stand. This is a phenomenally difficult um, epidemic is what we are actually calling it. Coming from a nursing perspective and um, public health, this is an absolute epidemic that needs to stop. Tina House, APTN National News, Vancouver. And that was uh, Tina House's story on APTN. You can go to see that story uh, and check it out online if you like. And uh, just go to aptn.ca news and you can ha- see that story uh, on the line from Vancouver is Tina House, the uh, reporter with APTN that did that story. And once again, Tina, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Now, looking at back at that and listening to what you see, I'm sure that they were not. That was not the only story that was told there. Oh no! I mean, certainly, you know, there's there's so many stories we couldn't get to. You know, in fact, uh, I had another clip that unfortunately uh, didn't make it into the uh, the story that did go to air, but. Um, another uh, uh, activist who actually you'll be speaking with very soon, her name is Lorelai Williams. Uh, she's also a family member. Her uh, aunt went missing in 1978, and her cousin Tanya Holick, uh, was her DNA was found on Picton's farm in 2002. Mm. So uh, Lorelai actually spoke at that Feminist Deliver event as well. And during her very powerful speech, and now this is the same day that the Murdered and Missing National Inquiry report was released. Um, you know, there was a lot of emotion in the room. I mm. think a lot of these activists have been working so hard for so many years on this issue. And to actually hear the word genocide was, you know, something that, you know, 
for me personally as a journalist, I don't think I'd ever have to use that word here in Canada. But, you know, for the for the family members and people that are working on the front lines for so long, I think that it just summarized what they'd all known all along, that, you know, there is a genocide happening among Indigenous women and girls. And at that event, Lorelai held up a missing poster of a girl named Penny Robertson, who was an American girl. And her family, the, her, Penny's family had reached out to Lorelai and gave her permission to tell the story. But she's holding up the missing person's poster at that event saying, this is Penny Roberts. She went missing on May the 24th. You know, her body was found on June the 1st. And it wasn't the police that found her. It was her own family. Mm. And she said, in fact, no media has even picked up this story. And it was a very powerful moment because it really showed the complex issues that are happening. I think that Margaret Moss really summed it up perfectly in the in the story that I that I did run when she says that there's a real gap when it comes to how they're investigating these cases in the U.S. as compared to Canada. Where, you know, we were lucky enough to have this national inquiry, but in the States, it, there's nothing like that at all. It's literally state by state. And then you're dealing with jurisdictional issues and, you know, a, a law that's, you know, quite outdated since the 1800s. So, you know, I think that Canada is leading the way in terms of investigating Indigenous women and girls that are murdered or missing, but by by no means are we, in fact, you know, um, leading the pack because there's been very few arrests, but like, quite frankly, there's been very few people that have been, you know, charged with these crimes. So I think that, you know, we certainly could do a lot better. Well, you know, when you say that, it's exactly what I I think about is that these crimes are being committed by some by people, and they're they're out there somewhere. It's just unthinkable. Um, the other thing that, you know, to hear this woman stand there, tell her story and say this man comes to the house with a chainsaw, you know, a chainsaw yeah. and says to her what he says um, and that, you know, I, he bought her and I have a chainsaw and do this or else. And to think yeah. that this is this is in North America, uh, it's it's, you know, to think that someone actually feels secure enough to do that without without repercussion is un, is uh, is just unfathomable to me totally yeah yeah well um listen tina it's it's really great thank you for fleshing this out more for us and, and giving us more of the story and especially uh lorelei williams uh, whom we will be speaking with briefly I, i'm just wondering you say you've been covering this for 13 years uh in your in yeah. your history with aptn and uh, you know we were just talking with someone uh, earlier uh, who has uh, also been working with with women, uh, indigenous women, and 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 the stories and things around uh, for for a long time. And she was very upset that you know she's she's going to be seventy soon, and she says she's so you know she's been waiting and waiting for something to happen around these issues, and and is sick of waiting basically. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that that's the case. I mean, you know, I mean, I had an, an amazing one-on-one -on -one interview with uh, former Chief Commissioner Marion Buller of the National Inquiry, mm. and we had a, an incredible opportunity to ask her questions and to get into more extensive detail in regards to the final report, in regards to how they arrived at the decision to call it genocide, 
And that that interview is also that also went to air yesterday on APC National okay. News. It's about a five minute interview. Yep. It was such a powerful interview that we literally let it just run raw because you know there was just so many great details in there that I think the public hasn't heard yet. Mm. And you know I really recommend everybody go to the site, check that interview out because if you're curious about this issue and want to know from the inside um, people that were you know dealing with everything, um, that's an awesome interview to to hear. But there's a lot of frustration. There's there's still a lot of answers that need to be. Um, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. I mean mm. there's there's still so many cases, and you know what's sad about everything is that. You know, during the National Inquiry, which went on for a couple of years, during the time that they're actually hearing from witnesses, hearing from families, close to 200 other murdered and missing women and girls took place here mm. in Canada while the inquiry was happening. Yeah. So yes, It's yes. a big issue, and I, I recommend, you know, everybody to learn as much as they can and for all the women and girls out there stay safe and you know just make sure that you know you you follow the guidelines of what um, some of these community organizations are recommending you do but take care of each other and check in on each other and uh, you know just really be strong and brave and uh, we will get through this together. Tina, thank you so much for for saying those things and sharing what you did and bringing this story uh, to us and we thank you very much for doing so. And we want to say uh, Chimigwech for joining us on the air to talk about this further and for getting up so early to do it on the West Coast. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure and our pleasure. And we look to speak look to speak with you again. Take care. Yeah, definitely. Take care. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. That was Tina House. She's uh, an APTN uh, video journalist uh, in Vancouver. We had the pleasure with speaking with her uh, about uh, uh, some issues that she's been following out there and bringing to life. You can see her story on APTN News. If you go to the APTN News site, you can see the story that she was just referring to and more, as you heard, um, uh, especially having to do with uh, a bit of a, a report there or, or an uncut uh, uh, interview with, uh, with, with uh, um, the director of the uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's uh, Report. We're going to take a short break. Please stay with us because we will be right back with Lorelai Williams, who is also associated with this story that uh, Tina was just telling you about. Please stay on the line and we'll come back with Lorelai. Welcome back to Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening in Toronto and Ottawa and, of course, anywhere across the country if you've downloaded the Radio Player Canada app. And uh, on the line uh, now, from also from Vancouver, we have Lorelai Williams and uh, she is part of the story we were just talking with Tina House about. Uh, Tina brought us a story uh, about a, a conference, uh, a couple of conferences that just took place in Vancouver, uh, having to do with uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women, uh, girls and women. And uh, Lorelai was also attending uh, that conference and, on, and also spoke with Tina. Good morning, Lorelai. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for uh, getting up uh, early on the West Coast and taking part of uh, taking part with us on the show. Um, what was your sense of of having been at the the conference and what you saw? The feminist deliver conference. Or yeah. The women deliver conference. Well, how about both? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I only made it to the women deliver conference when Justin Trudeau 
spoke about, well, when he spoke, I just happened to walk in um, just as he started talking about the National Inquiry. Mm-hmm. It was actually weird because I, they weren't going to let me in. Um, the place was packed. And just that, uh, as they were telling me that, Tina just happened to text me and asked me to come to the other side. Mm-hmm. So I, I went that way instead, and I, I, I walked in, and Justin Trudeau just stood up, and he started talking about the National Inquiry. And, you know, I was dealing with media all day, and I had heard from the media, actually, that he didn't mention genocide once uh, in Quebec at the release of the final report. And so when I was standing there listening to him speak, he actually mentioned genocide to the Women Deliver Conference. So this was an audience of people from around the world. So I just happened to catch that on my cell phone because when I walked in and he started talking about it, I started fumbling with my phone and I live streamed it on my Facebook page. But at that moment, I, I was grateful to be able to witness it with my eyes and to see that he actually mentioned that word, and the crowd cheered when he said that. Mm. So, And then afterwards, with Feminist Deliver, um, we were able to meet with Justin Trudeau briefly, and I was able to tell him. Uh, we had, as a group, we had agreed to say um, the time for action is now, and uh, we were standing in front of these panels that address issues of, uh, you know, with women and girls in general, um, and some of that being missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, and even the Idle No More movement, why what Idle No More is about. So we got we had 13 panels, and I was asked to stand in front of the Idle No More panel, um, which also mentions MMIWG. And as I stood there, and he was getting closer to me, I'm my emotions, like I could feel them, they were just taking over and I, I, you know, I had to spit those words out and um, when I spit them out, I was able to include, I said the time for action is now for my missing Auntie Belinda Williams and for my murdered cousin Tanya Holick. And once I mentioned Tanya Holick, I was done. Like I couldn't even say any more. Um, it just, you know, it hit me really hard, you know, when I, when I mentioned Tanya, mm-hmm. it always hits me hard when I mentioned Tanya. And then he said some words to me and I have no idea what he said to me. Mm-hmm. I was just trying so hard not to um, cry. I, I didn't feel like I wanted to cry just if for the sake, like for Tanya, mm-hmm. right? Like that's sure. why I wanted to cry, but I wanted to say more, but I, I that just wasn't the time for it. But mm-hmm. Yeah, at the Feminist Deliver Conference. It was such an amazing conference, and that conference came about because when some leaders from the community heard that Women Deliver was coming to Vancouver and they only had Justin Trudeau uh, speaking on behalf of Canada, Justin Trudeau and his wife, we were upset about... That was one of the issues that I was upset about because he doesn't represent me. He doesn't represent original nations from across Canada. He doesn't represent MMIWG. And so that's why I joined Feminist Deliver. But um, yeah, so we came, we became Feminist Deliver. And we were going to set up a tent outside the conference and address the issues that we thought would need to be addressed at a conference like this. We were like, how come this conference is coming here 
on our territory here and not addressing our issues, especially so close to the downtown east side. We were so confused about that and upset. Um, so we thought, you know what, we're going to we're gonna do our own conference. So that's how that conference came about. And it just so happens that, um, it just so happened that um, the conference, the Women Deliver Conference was the exact same day that the final report was being released. Yes. Uh, and so Feminist Deliver decided to dedicate that whole first day to MMIWG. And so they had this huge press release in the morning and I was one of the speakers and I was able to touch on how I felt about the National Inquiry. And uh, I was also able to include um, a family member from this, uh, a family member reached out to me from the States and, you know, her, her um, family member was just found a few days before the June 3rd. So she was found on June 1st and I was able to share that with them because it was, uh, they asked me to, you know, she went missing May 24th and her body was found by the family on June 1st. They did their own search, the family and volunteers, and it was the family that found her. It wasn't the police. And so I felt like, when they reached out, it was important for me to mention that because I had the media attention there to show that this is a huge issue, not just in Canada, but in the States as well, right? And so I was able to share that story. And, you know, it was it's just horrible to know that. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's just heartbreaking that we have to do this, you know, all the time. Lorelai, what you've just shared with us is uh, is very moving, uh, and it almost leaves me speechless. I really, uh, I don't know quite what to say, except that what I hear is, I hear the strength uh, not only from you, but from this family that you were able to bring this story and share it with, uh, for, on their behalf, and the strength that uh, just in finding their loved one uh, on their own, uh, it, it just... Um, I'm shaking thinking about it, uh, and, and I can't imagine how they must have felt. Uh, and, and also for you, uh, putting yourself there, uh, being able to bring that story forward for them, I know that it, it takes a lot to do, but it also is necessary in order to get these stories out there. So, uh, you know, for, for you and for them, uh, I'm, I'm sorry for their loss, and I'm also grateful that, that you and they allowed that story to be shared. Yeah, it was hard actually reading uh, the details. They they sent me a bunch of details about Penny Robertson and when she went missing and how she was found, and it was horrible. I actually started crying on the train because I just happened to be on the train, and the horrific details that they shared with me, I, it just broke my heart to pieces. Like. It, you know, and not a lot of media was covering it. And so that's why I felt it was important to share her story up here in Canada and maybe hopefully um, put pressure on the police to actually find the person who murdered her, right? Because mm-hmm. it's definitely a murder. The way she was found, there's, it's definitely a murder. And And how, you know, you had your own story, though, your own cousin's story. You know, yeah. Uh, can you share a little bit about that with us? When did this happen, and and what what is that that you feel comfortable sharing? 
So I actually have two family members. Uh, my auntie Belinda Williams has been missing since 1978. And my cousin Tanya Holick went missing in 1996. And her DNA was later found on Robert Pickens' farm. So this is nothing new to my family. I mean... My aunt was actually pushed out of a window on the downtown east side here as well. Thankfully, she survived. But also, my other cousin, Dorina, was taken by serial killer Terry Arnold, and she was raped by him in the mountains when she was a teenager. She was 16 years old, and she's still alive today. So this is... And, you know, I I grew up around violence as well. There's so much violence that happened to me and my family. And... So, you know, this is nothing new to me, and I see it all the time. I see so much violence towards my friends and my family, and it's from strangers as well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just not stopping. I, I mean, I work at the Vancouver Aboriginal Community Policing Center as well, and I work with families of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, I work with women in violent situations. I work with women in the downtown east side. And I try to build positive relationships between the community and the police, which is really hard considering our history. However, I feel like with all the flaws that happened in both my missing aunt's case and my cousin's case, I feel like we could keep fighting each other or I could be there working with the police and working with the community to make sure that this doesn't happen to any other family members mm-hmm. because what happened in both my aunt's case and my cousin's case is horrible you know they were racist and judgmental and um, yeah some of that was actually brought out in the Wally Opal inquiry back in 2012 mm-hmm. Lorelai, really, really appreciate you taking the time to share this with us, and I wish we had more time to, uh, to, to delve into this and talk with you, but our time is up, unfortunately. But again, I want to say nyawa and miigwech for you calling in today and sharing this with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Yep. That was Lorelai Williams. She was Bye. calling in from Vancouver, and we want to thank Tina House for bringing that story to life and uh, to the air for us, and we look forward to having them both on at perhaps another time. Thanks for listening. This is Moment of Truth on Element FM. I also want to say nyawa miigwech wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy, Aidan Wolf, and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Janet Lamb, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech and thanks for listening. This show was brought to you in part by APTN.